Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. And with me every other week, almost every day, except for the weekends, he gets time off for good behavior. Caitlin Postel. <laughs> Brian, why do you fib to the listeners? <laughs> <laughs> we should hang out more on the weekends. We never actually Oh, geez. Do that. <laughs> please. Please. No more. <laughs> oh, fantastic. And with us this week, we have a very special guest from Chelsea and Rachel, uh, Chelsea Jones. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Glad to have you. It is a uh, it is an interesting beginning to spring here in New Jersey. Where are you located? I'm in Southern California, so we finally oh. have sunshine out right now. I'm very happy. It's That's been a winter. Right. That's right. So, and you guys have cleared out your drought, right? Is that like gone now? You can water your lawns. You can do all that other stuff. Be frivolous Absolutely. with your H2O. <laughs> Record-breaking <laughs> snowfall in the mountains. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is fantastic. Well, listen, it was it's it's been long overdue. It was getting really serious, and you know they were discovering bodies that were that were sunk down to bottoms of lakes and things like that, and and now everything's back. <laughs> Leave it to the Jersey guy to bring up the bodies in the lake. What is up with that? <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> so Chelsea, can you tell us a little bit for just for the audience, a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm co-founder of a company called Chelsea and Rachel Company. We named it our names. Uh, we've been an agency in the e-commerce space for over nine years. And we specialize in strategy, UX, UI design and development on all things Shopify, Shopify Plus and the tech stack ecosystem around that. Awesome. And and so who, I mean, who, who are you targeting? Like who are you, who are you supporting right now? Who are some of your clients? Yeah, I love it. So we take brands, we say from a JV to a varsity level online, we do a lot in the subscription space. So some of our clients are big ones like Allure Beauty Box, GQ Stuff Box. We do a lot in the food and beverage niche. So we've done things like um, Navitas Organics, Wild Planet Foods, a lot in um, the alternative natural path space, Steve Harvey's Elevate You line that we just launched. Um, so there's a lot of like of pass forward in food, beverage, beauty, and wellness around subscription and CPG. Nice. Yeah, some some notable names there. So what makes them um, what makes them considered JV or what are they doing differently from those varsity players? Oh, I love this question because so much of it comes down to we don't know what we don't know, right? Sometimes I think a Story lot of my life. Right? <laughs> a lot of these companies think they can just throw up a website and have, you know, people come to it or have like not a lot of thought into it. And our philosophy is the opposite. Like your website should be the positioning you as a company to not only grow your sales and your overall message, but also be a brand positioning for how investors or potential acquisitions are going to look at your company in general. So Really, a lot of a lot of brands just don't know how to focus on direct to consumer or D to C because there's no special specialists in the space in their own company. Or if there are, they're usually overworked and a little bit stressed and need extra hands and how to actually execute around strategy that's going to move the needle forward. So, like, what are some of the mistakes? You know, for these startups, right? What are some of the mistakes that they're making when they're coming out of the gate and they're trying to launch? What are you seeing? 
Yeah, there's there's two big mistakes we see in the ecosystem. One is like they just try to do it all themselves and think they can just launch stuff and test it and not have any expert input. And the other is maybe they over-engineer it and they hire a bunch of experts and then like build this headless solution that doesn't necessarily always convert. And then you have like a lot of money sunk costs spent that don't actually make a difference. So the biggest thing I always say is you want to walk, then run. And brands that are starting out in the ecosystem need a really clear path forward on how they're going to do that in a way that is, is easy to deploy and easy to get results from so they can innovate and grow um, as they're building it. And, you know, content is king. So a lot of brands just think like, oh, I'm going to put this up and drive traffic there. In reality, you have to have it where it's still problem solving to the customer and you're making that an easy use case in how you're going to have um, people check out. And ultimately, that just comes down to experience and understanding kind of the tech stack that is simple to deploy and easy to grow. I wish Rich Reba, who's our director of marketing or whatever his new title is, but he is all, he would be salivating. He is all about the content first. Um, And I think you make an interesting point about brands who are making the pivot or sometimes don't recognize the difference of the B2B approach versus D2C. Absolutely. Yeah. B2B and D2C is very different. And a lot of food and beverage that we've worked with, B2B is their main driver, right? Distribution is their main channel. And D2C is an afterthought. But our philosophy is when you invest in D2C and you do it right, it also lifts you on B2B because you have this component of now you're that much more established. This becomes almost your pitch deck and how you're talking to other brands. And then you get the data on the customer directly. Yeah, well, obviously data data is what's driving everybody. And if you understand the consumers, I think to your point, where do you think the benefit comes from? So, you know, understanding the, the, the customers themselves, where do you think that benefits the B2B portion of it? I think so much of it comes down to understanding your customer is a multi-channel shopper, right? We're going to buy online. We're going to go in store. We're going to engage with the brand in different ways. And most people, it takes seven times till they make a decision to purchase of engaging with the brand. So the gone are kind of the days of instant, you know, gratification, instant sales based on, you know, one ad, they have to have engagement multiple times. And the data right now is seven before pulling the trigger on a checkout. And so I think what's really important is understanding your touch points anywhere that you are going as a brand. It's your website also goes to the store. I have gone many times, even grocery shopping, and then looked at a new product and then pulled it up on my phone and their website to read ingredients or other information, right? So um, even though I may not be buying it right there on my phone, I'm engaging with them as a brand. It's very important that the B2B customer sees this so that they can also understand that this data that person is is looking at is so important for you to make larger decisions and ultimately i think the future is where wholesale is also going to be dictated by the data of the direct-to-consumer market channel because now all of a sudden they can launch new SKUs, have testing involved they can be much smarter in their deployment of products and should a brand, you know, interesting about the seven touch points. So how much time and energy and focus should the brand put on trying to lessen that number? Is that a worthwhile cause or they sort of, sh- should they be resigned to it being seven touch points and maybe focus energies on how to make sure they convert at that seventh time or should they try to get it to be four or five and how could they? 
Yeah, it all comes back to quality content and messaging, right? Like there and and understanding psychology of your audience. Like what is your customer really looking like? User stories are really important, knowing who is buying your product. Um, so to answer your question on shortening the seven times, it's possible in some cycles, but I think it's more important to make sure every point of touch is quality and is with a methodical message in mind that ultimately gets to that checkout. And the simpler you make it and the easier you make it, because we're in a microwave generation now where it's like two seconds, right? You need to make right. it simple and easy to understand. And then remind them, like we're, we're creatures of habits. Those reminders and those subtle touch points will get to that conversion. Yeah, Brian, that number seven, you know, being in BD, I'm like seven touches, they're lucky. Seven touches, I'm just getting started with my stalking. Like I'm lucky if someone responds to me after seven touches. So that's, that's interesting to hear. Um, and then, you know, you talk about going from you brought up the anecdote of you were, you're at the, you know, you're looking at your phone first. So you see the product, then you go to your phone. And I think now it's just like mobile first is just that standard across the board. And I, we were having a conversation the other day and I'm like, I find that odd. And maybe it's just my Zenial showing, but I would prefer to go to the desktop. And then um, when I brought it up to my partner, she was like, yeah, but think about it. You only went to the desktop because it wasn't working for you on your phone. So what is the consistency there of seeing the product on the shelf going to the website, going to the store, like how are these brands leveraging that consistency across the multi-prong approach to impact buyers? So consistency is really critical, but also an interesting fact is desktop design and more shoppers are doing more shopping on desktop than mobile. Now that we're back in the office again and doing a lot of different things on our computers again, you know, COVID was like a surge of mobile and everyone, you know, in sweatpants on their, on their couches. And now we're kind of back to like, screens and getting more involved with that. So the consistency is really critical. Mobile design needs to be simple, but it needs to be also engaging with the user that swipes versus desktop engaging with the user that clicks. So it's really the user path is, is important to understand how that is different, but you have to have a brand that's consistent across the board. Well, and I think from an ease of use perspective and also just from a visual perspective, you know, I tend to, if I have to get into the weeds on the visual side of it, I'll tend to go to my laptop as opposed to my phone. And I think if I had an experience that was so comparable across both, I'd be more inclined to be out somewhere. You know, if I don't do something now, I'll forget about it later. So if I have the ability to just grab my phone and have that similar experience, like, and it's really sharp and crisp, like you'd get on a laptop, I, I think I'd be more inclined to just, you know, purchase from anywhere, especially at that moment. I yeah, agree. I agree too. Yeah. And thank you, Chelsea, for making me not feel as old, but yeah, totally. No, actually yeah. it is surprising. Um, even in a conversation I had this week with some others in the space, like desktop traffic is up because more people are shopping in that way, but you have to have not only consistency, you have to have thoughtfulness on how your consumer is buying, right? Like on a desktop, I'll do more research. I'll look at those pages on a mobile phone. You need to get quick to the product to be able to check out if that's where your, your seventh touch is to buy. Yeah, you know, interesting. This is completely going off on a tangent though, but what I think part of what I like also about on the laptop is I can see all of my choices. Like I can see a lot more choices at once and especially cause you know, I'm on the older side, so I really can't see anything unless I'm up nice and close. I don't, on a laptop, I get more of those options across the board. And I think that's why the experience for me uh, is enhanced on a, on a laptop. But if I could have something comparable, 
Uh, yeah, again, I think it goes back to I spend more time buying from my phone than I than I would on the laptop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I feel like since we're on this tangent, sometimes like it's the importance of the task, right? Like, why did I try and just process my taxes on my mobile phone on a Thursday night when I'm out? Like, what is happening? I'm gonna save this for later and go go to the go to the desktop, but. Um, we talked a little bit about it on our intro call, which is kind of meeting the consumer where they are um, and being able to deliver on meeting them in that place. So if I want to do it right now on my mobile, then why can't I? Um, and maybe that's the differentiator between a JV and a varsity brand um, is that meeting there or maybe they just know their consumer a little bit better. What are your thoughts there, Chelsea? Yeah, I think there's a lot in that also just in terms of technology of how you integrate it. So, for example, those that are the varsity level of a brand, if you shop on your phone, that should be tagged into how you are on a desktop. So automatically you go to your desktop, you have that same cart into checkout. We have so many smart tools now that you can do that where your customer especially if you have, you know, like devices that are synced or other things that we get, you know, involved, they should be able to have that seamless checkout option, as well as knowing your customer and personalizing it in ways that you can. Those little details go a long way. It's just like, you know, when you're going or if, like somebody that's stylizing a house and, a, and a interior decorated, it's the little things that usually matter, right? The little pops of color, the little stuff like that. It's the same in e-commerce when they have those little touches that matter they their conversion rates can skyrocket based on oh now you know me this is already in my car oh i want to add this because you asked me you know you're taking in consideration what they need as a customer yeah i love that i don't want to start over why should i have to start over you know this you know it's me uh just remove the lift for me and just let me check out at this point at least that's how I react as a consumer. Exactly. And especially if you're shopping a, a platform that has multiple SKUs, right? You want it to be like, you already know me. This is a quick checkout. Oh, by the way, some people will just load in stuff and abandon the cart to try to get a discount, right? Or to try to do something else like that. So you have to think what's in the best needs of the customer and how do I position this as a brand to just say, hey, don't worry. You forgot this, but you need to check out. Here's some simplicity or maybe a, a discount code. Those kind of things really work. Wait, so do you mean to tell me that I'm this many years old when I've learned that the more I abandon a cart, the more, the higher the likelihood of me getting discounts? Is that a thing? That's definitely a thing. Abort, abort. Then you get like 16 <laughs> emails, a text, you know, they call your mom, like, didn't you need those supplements? I'm like, no, I was just well, trying to get a discount. <laughs> I just wanted a discount. That is so interesting. So what are some of the things that the brands are doing right now in terms of content and ways that they're putting out content to their audience to try to you know, get those touch points out there and, and build, I guess it's a brand awareness or beyond? Yeah, a lot of content creation that is working comes back to either something funny or something educational, but it has to be done in a way that's still human talking to human. Like the, the too polished or too much is not working, right? Nobody wants to feel like dumber by looking at your ad. They wanna feel like they can relate. And usually if they can laugh or they learn something, then you're gonna be much more engaging as a brand to your customer. So um, ones that are working really well are those that are trying you know, new video content or just asking questions. The, the brands that are really engaging with their reviews and know what their customer is saying about them and engaging them on a customer service level is super important. Um, and then the content that just speaks directly to that. What problem are you trying to solve? What are you doing? And then instead of thinking that you know it as a company, ask your consumers, ask the people that are buying it 
and make content out of that. Um, the UGC is a really important like piece, but it's also important to do it in a way that you position yourself as a brand uh, into that factor of what problem you're solving. Yeah. yeah, I know we heard that, Brian, when we were at our leadership meeting from NJ at APL, talk about human to human. You know, she took a, a weekend where she just responded to those SMS texts and she was, you know, getting engaged and finding out what some of the struggles were, you know, replying to that person who ordered on Friday but forgot Monday was a holiday. And now she's freaking out. But, you know, what can we do to get that pair of shoes there? Um, you know, I think it doesn't get much more human than that. Right. I mean, listen, there's for, for a brand owner, there's no way to be more in touch with your customers than to, to, to be involved in that and that customer, uh, that the customer success, the customer support areas and, and go out and address them. Right. I mean, you're hearing it firsthand from from people who are interested in your brand. And they're going through and having their experience and then me, and being able to respond to it. And if you're falling short, obviously address that. If you're coming up roses, well, you could also be thankful to the audience as well. I like the humor aspect of it too. I always, I always like when you're starting to, you know, read reviews or read commentary, and then you've got the brand answering with some sort of, you know, witty, witty remark. I, I, I always like that. It, it, it makes the brand feel more human when they do that. Yeah. Yes. And it, it also like, it makes people remember it. Like I, I remember that even in this like Twitter message that someone said about some technology that was being out or how long it was. And then, uh, you know, Cheesecake Factory said, well, this is longer than our menu or something like, and people are like, oh, that's what, you know, you just have right. this concept of, of, yeah, being witty and being, cause then you know, it's like humans that are writing it in different ways than just robots. Even though AI is a lot of the future that we're going to, a sense of humor is so important as a brand scales and grows. And I think that's something that a lot of companies forget about. Um, so if they can kind of niche back into that, it's really going to matter and make a big impact. Yeah, making yeah. fun of yourself, the little cheeky tweet. Nothing, yeah. nothing is better than a cheeky tweet from, from. Or how about when they start dueling against each other? You know, right. McDonald's puts up one side across the street. There's Wendy's. They're putting the other side, and it's like battle of the brands. Love it. Exactly. But you know, even for a big company like Cheesecake Factory to come out and have something that's self-deprecating, right? But in a way that's not harmful to the brand. I mean, everybody knows the menu is about as long as it can get. But like, so they're taking a swipe at themselves, but yet. Again, it humanizes what doesn't necessarily, especially for like a chain like that, what you wouldn't think of as human. Totally. I think it also makes it more relatable, right? That's the key piece in, in customer relations right now is how can a brand be relatable and be something that people need? Um, and that really does come back to the messaging and the content that they're creating, what that looks like. So kind of switching gears here a little bit, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but you know, just about the economic situation that we're in and the dollars spend are so important, especially to younger brands. Uh, I was watching Shark Tank the other day and saw an apparel brand um, who spent a ton on marketing, almost to the point of putting them under. Um, and you talked about over-engineering or overdoing things um, and kind of the less is more approach. What are your thoughts there as far as simplifying? Um, we talked a little bit about spring cleaning. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in that space. Yeah, so technical debt is a real problem. There's a lot of issues where people are overspending in the area of just throwing money at something is gonna make it work better. That's not the case. Like you need to have 
tools that will help you scale. And so like in the Shopify space, for example, like, you know, the thought process five years ago is like, there's an app and add an app for everything. Well, now like that's actually a misnomer. You need, you do need apps, but you need them for specific functions. And the companies that have over added a whole bunch, their site is too slow. It's interjected code into the theme. They've had all these issues that they don't know how to unravel because they've not had somebody look at that and be able to clean it up from a like, you don't need all these things and touch points. So it's really important that like, you start simple where like in Shopify, it's built to have a cart and a checkout. You can build a few landing pages that are specific to your customer and make it like a funnel um, that's really easy to engage with and then build on that. Um, your apps need to be around engagement. So email marketing, SMS, customer service, you know, probably returns if you have a product. And then um, also just looking at like, what is it gonna take to get there? Anything beyond that is usually just added fluff. like. I am a component of upsell and cross-sell. Like there's an app called Rebuy that's really great for AI and those features in the Shopify ecosystem. But again, you probably need about seven total. You don't need the 20 or 50 that a lot of these brands, when they start out, are just adding, thinking it's going to solve the problem. You need to keep your tech stack simple and then run traffic in a way that is made to convert based on your content. Love that. I wish I had a bell. Ding, 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 ding. But... Tanya would probably say that's too gimmicky, but yeah, I think that's solid <laughs> advice for sure. Yeah, and for these growing brands, you know, keeping it simple, I think is is the way that they are going to allow themselves to, to focus on other aspects of their business um, and not get caught up in all of the other stuff that's maybe adding more complication than they need. Plus it gives them the ability to pivot with the market, right? Like, I mean, even my own company, we've done big brand things. Right now we're doing smaller brand things because it's what the market needs. They don't want a full website design. They just want a landing page that converts, right? You have to adapt and change. It's like that age old thought as a company, you have to adapt and change in times. And if brands that are wanting to grow their sales are just spending a ton of money in marketing, but not looking at their data and pivoting based on that, you got to have a pulse on your finger of knowing what are your KPIs, your key performance indicators that you want to track. How do you get your team or your agency teams to have accountability, right? Like a lot of times people just set and think it's set and forget. It's like, you still need to look at it. You still need that overall vision of where you're going so that you can tweak those modules as you move forward. Yeah. I, I love that. You know, it's, it's funny because the expression, if you're not growing, you're dying has been around forever as long in business. But I think especially over the last, like, you know, 15, 20 years, everybody realizes growing. If you're not growing, you're dying is not necessarily a top line thing. It's about your adaptability. It's about your, your ability to grow and evolve as an organization. And if you can't do that quickly uh, to, a, to a rapidly changing marketplace, and, and God knows the, the, the marketplace right now is changing quicker than it ever has, then you are going to die and you'll probably be dead before you even realize you're dead. And I thought I was the downer. <laughs> no, I'm encouraging people to, to, to make those changes, to be adaptable and agile. That's what you need to do to be successful. For yeah, sure. and don't be afraid to try something new. I think, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of growth over the last few years that you're right now in the, in the current market, you have to try things and adapt to what is possible. So maybe it is just doing something simple, like launching a landing page with different content, see if it converts better, if it's comedy or it's education, like how you're going to position that and then make those tools run for you as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, you know, simplistic approach. 
Yeah, uh, Caitlin, I don't know if you remember, we had on our, as a guest that I think was Habib Salo from Young Nails. And they do a tremendous job in, the, in this marketing space. And, and, and he was like, basically, just throw shit at the wall. He's like, see what works, see what resonates with your audience and don't be afraid to give it a try all the time because it, eventually you'll find what resonates and it might be something different three months from now, but if that's what's resonating now, then go for it on different platforms, different, different channels, whatever it might be. Yeah, and the yeah. community is not going to be afraid to tell you if it doesn't. If it doesn't. <laughs> I always say imperfect action is better than no action every day. Right. Exactly. So if you if you can run with stuff and you try it, imperfect action will keep you moving forward. Inaction keeps you stuck. And that's yep. what a lot of these brands are dealing with. There it is. Absolutely. Well, that is a perfect way to end. Chelsea Jones, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Extremely informative. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And you guys are wonderful. I think this is so great what you're doing and helping companies have um, more opportunities too. Thank you very much. Caitlin, walk us out. Sure. Thank you, Chelsea, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Check us out every other Friday on your favorite podcast platform. Have a great weekend. Peace. Thank you. Thank you.